Bibles, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 18. Gospel of John chapter 18. Welcome to our 41st message in the Gospel of John. Just a few more remaining. But I want to begin our time together today with a story. It's also probably a life lesson for every man, husband in this room. Pay attention. Story begins this way. A man received a call from his wife who was about to fly home from a trip that she took to Europe. And at the end of their conversation, the wife asked her husband, how is the cat? And the husband bluntly answered, dead. Well, of course, the wife responded, oh, honey, don't be so honest. Why didn't you break the news to me? Slowly, you ruined my trip. And of course, the husband's like, I don't I don't know what you mean. You asked me a question. I answered the question. And the wife explained, you could have told me that the cat was on the roof. And then when I called from Paris, you could have told me that the cat was acting sluggish. When I called from London, you could have said the cat was sick. When I called from New York, you could have said you took the cat to the vet. And then when I arrived in New York, you could have said just very clearly, you could have said, or when I got home, hey, I'm sorry, the cat didn't make it. And the husband, of course, I never thought about that, never, never crossed my mind, but I will do better, I promise. And before they got off the phone, the wife said, oh, by the way, how's my mother? And there was a long silence, and then the husband replied, uh, she's on the roof. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself saying, I wish someone would just tell me the truth, or... Have you ever found yourself thinking, as the great movie line says, you can't handle the truth to someone else? Well, we're about to see this morning the religious leaders and Pilate, how they handled the truth. And the reality is they couldn't handle the truth. And the truth had to do with the king and his kingdom. And think back with me real quick to the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was distinct. They were different from all other nations. No other nation before Israel or after Israel was chosen by God and governed by God. Israel alone. But the desire to be like other nations, particularly to have a king like every other nation had, surfaced repeatedly throughout the history of of Israel. Yet unlike Israel, other nations, they didn't need a king because God was their king. Israel was a theocracy, meaning God governed them, God defended them. Yet, even though God did what he did perfectly, the people of Israel kept saying, we want to be like everyone else. We want a king like everyone else. And finally, God granted them their wish and gave them a king. Unfortunately, the history of Israel is filled. If you look at the king, the king's list of Israel and Judah, it is filled with way more wicked kings than righteous ones. Wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. The, the picture is Israel's desire to be like every other nation, to have a king proved to be disastrous. Yet that is not the whole story. Long before Israel ever asked for a king, God, in knowing the heart of this nation, promised to send them a king. Promised a king who would not just rule Israel, a king who would rule all the nations. And one of the main things of the Old Testament, the themes of the Old Testament, is the coming of this king who will reign over all. The New Testament, as we know it, is the proclamation that this king has indeed come. The king has 
come. Yet the shocking reality from a human standpoint is what Israel, what the world did when this king came. They killed him. They killed this king. Let that sink in. At various stages in redemptive history, God acted in extending his hand of grace and mercy to the world. And time and time again, the world slapped God's hand away. They wanted nothing to do with his hand, his offer of grace and mercy. Yet God kept extending that grace and mercy to the point when things were hopeless, broken beyond repair. Light came in the midst of darkness. The Son of God showed up to save humanity and they killed him. But remember, as we said last week, no one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down and he picked it up Again, this was always the plan. This wasn't plan B or C. This was always the plan. So as we said last week, when we come to this portion of the Gospel of John, it's, it's time. There's no more signs, no more teaching, no more praying or prayers of intercession. There's nothing left for Jesus to do than to give himself up to his betrayer, as we saw last week, and lay down his life. And on his way to the cross, he will be falsely and illegally tried. We saw it last week. We're going to see it again this week. He will then be beaten, denied, mocked, have his beard plucked out, and spit on. And when, when, when we read passages like this, I, I pray that the emotions that we see in these scenes are overwhelming. The pictures that we see, that we hear in our minds, we can't help but feel anger. We can't help but feel frustration, sorrow, that anyone, especially the gracious king of all, our Savior, would be forced to endure such injustice as he had to. But that's what hate and that's what envy do. Do you know that hate and envy corrupt our attitudes, corrupt our motivations? They darken our hearts. But I have good news for us today. Our hearts can be changed. Our hearts can be Change Your heart can be changed. I love the words of J.B. Phillips who says this, kind of comparing the old and new. He says, God may thunder his commands from Mount Sinai, and men may fear, yet remain at heart exactly what they were before. But let a man once see his God down in the arena as man, suffering, tempted, sweating, and agonized, finally dying a criminal's death, and he is a hard man indeed who is untouched. Listen, you can tip your cap to the Ten Commandments and still have an unchanged heart. But let us see what Jesus did for us. Let us see every part of what he did for us. And may our hearts be touched by that even today. So let's dive into the text this morning and let's behold the king and his kingdom. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God's word. We're going to read John 18, 28 through 38 together. Or the beginning of verse 38. Anyway, 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. Some believe about 6 a.m. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, Listen to this. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. What accusation do they bring? Not a one. Pilate said to them, Take him for yourself and judge him by your own law. 
the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pause for a second. Pilate says, what have you done? Jesus could have said, oh, I opened the eyes of the blind. I opened the ears of the deaf. I took those who were paralytic and they're now running all over Jerusalem. Those who were once dead now have life. I have proclaimed the gospel, the good news to all. That's what I have done. He could have said that. But that's not what he says. Jesus answered in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And God, we pray that today that question would be answered among us. We live in a world that says there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. What can be true of you might not be true of me and vice versa. Yet that is not what your word says. And your word points us to a clear and a definitive truth that will judge us. We don't get to judge that truth. That truth judges us. Show us that today. Show us the king of glory that we just sang about. Jesus, may your kingdom come. In your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Did you know that one of Jesus' favorite subjects to talk about throughout his ministry was the kingdom? For example, the Gospel of Matthew, the phrase the kingdom of God appears four times. Mark, it appears 14 times. In Luke, it appears 32 times. In the Gospel of John, it appears two times. Not just the phrase the kingdom of God, also the, the phrase the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew appears 33 times. So over 75 times in the gospel, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom that's coming. In fact, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. When Jesus rose from the dead, we're told in Scripture that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples speaking about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So in this dark and heavy moment before his crucifixion, Jesus is now talking to Pilate about the kingdom, about his kingdom. And the question becomes, well, what kind of king is Jesus? Is he a political king? Is he a military king? Is he a king who enforces his rule? And we can answer that by saying, well, no, not yet. Not yet. And what we mean is right now he is a spiritual king. Right now. But eventually he will come and he will be a world-dominating king. Did you know that? Did you know that when he comes again, he will dominate? When he comes again, he will be a world-dominating king, and he will forever show himself as the king of all kings and lord of all lords. 
And today's conversation takes place before Pilate. Let me give you just a little history about Pilate in case you didn't know. Pontius Pilate was the fifth governor of Judea. He was appointed governor in his post in A.D. 26 by Tiberius Caesar. He maintained that post for 10 years. And did you know that Pontius Pilate was not a Roman? He was actually from Spain. And he became part of the Roman army trying to work his way up. And he got this job as governor because he married strategically. He married the granddaughter of Augustus Caesar. And basically she got him the job of governor over this province, the, the province of Judea. Now he appears in the Bible 21 times, but secular historians all paint the same picture about him. That he was prideful, he was arrogant, he was conceited, he was cynical, he was brutal, and he was cruel. And history tells us that he hated Judea, he hated Judaism, he hated the Jews. And this is the one standing before Jesus Christ in this moment. And it's fascinating that this conversation between Jesus and, and Pilate centered on the kingdom of Christ. And centered on his kingship. Pilate had this insatiable desire to rule, and yet he had no kingdom of his own. Yet before we condemn him, before we condemn Pilate, let me just say this. There is perhaps a little bit of Pilate in all of us. And what I mean by that is this. For within all of our hearts is the desire, dare I say, the temptation for us to all rule the kingdom of our own lives. There is a desire and temptation in all of our lives to rule the kingdom of our own lives. And the warning of this text is clear to all of us. If you are ruling or self-rule, as I call it, leads further away from Christ even when you're standing in the presence of Christ. When you are trying to rule your own life, it will always lead you further away from Jesus even when Jesus is in your presence. Just think about what's happening here. Think about this scene. Think about what we've seen already. Someone said this. The absolutely sinless son of God is subjected to a trial conducted by sinful man. And thinking of that, it in itself is deep humiliation. To be tried by such men under such circumstances made it infinitely worse. Greedy, serpent-like, vindictive, anus. Rude, sly, hypocritical, Caiaphas. Crafty, superstitious superstitious, self-seeking, cruel, Pilate, and immoral, ambitious, superficial, Herod, and Tippus. These were his judges. These were the judges of the king of all kings. Think about that. I want to lay before us today three truths, maybe three pictures of the king and his kingdom that we see in these verses. The first picture is this, the rejection of the kingdom. The rejection of the kingdom. If you remember from last week, Jesus didn't just face one trial. He faced six trials. Three were political. The first three, of course, were religious. First, before Annas, then before Caiaphas, then before the Sanhedrin, the ruling religious leaders, then Pilate, then Herod Antipas, and then, of course, back to Pilate, where the final verdict is given. But after this third trial, after the religious trial, you would think that when you think about these religious trials, the question becomes, why didn't they call for testimony from the countless lepers that had been cleansed? Why did they call for the demonized who had been delivered, the paralytics who had been healed, the prostitutes who had been forgiven, or even the dead who were now 
alive? Why didn't they ask for their testimony? And I am convinced, brothers and sisters, that even if those testimonies would have been given before them, it would not have changed their hearts or their motives or what they would have done or wanted to do in that moment. In fact, think about verse 28. Look at verse 28. It is bitter irony that these Jews will not enter the governor's headquarters. They will not enter the headquarters of Pilate because in their written laws, it says if they entered into a house of a Gentile, they could not participate. They were unclean. They would not be able to participate in Passover that was later that afternoon and evening. So these Jewish leaders meticulously, they keep their man-made laws while at the same time actively carry out a plot to, to kill the Son of God. Think about this. This is what religion does. Religion, we do all of these things. We stay away from evil people in order so we can do our evil our own way. Or D.A. Carson put it this way. The Jews take elaborate precautions to avoid ritual contamination in order to eat the Passover while at the very same time manipulating the judicial system in order to kill the true Passover lamb. Think about that. Let that sink in. Don't miss how extremely religious these Jewish elite are. Yet the ultimate truth of God is, is so extinct that they completely miss the perfect revelation of the Son of God. They miss it. And look at verse 31. You'll see it on the screen. The Jews said to Pilate, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So these religious leaders wanted nothing more. They wanted nothing less than to see Jesus die, and even more than that, to see him hung on a cross. Yet think about this. Hanging people on a cross was not the way that Jews killed people in that day. Now, how did the Jewish people kill people? Stoning. According to Leviticus 24, if someone was worthy of death, they would take him to a public place, and they would stone that individual. It was a brutal way of execution, but it was not nearly as, beautiful, as, as uh, brutal excuse me, as hanging someone on a cross, as crucifixion. They probably could have stoned Jesus if they wanted to. How do I know that? Because a very short time later, they stoned Stephen. So they could have done that. But here's what I believe. I believe that the religious leaders here, think about Caiaphas, the others, they wanted nothing more than to see Jesus hang on a cross. Why? Because the law of Moses says cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. The religious leaders thought that if they could get Jesus on a tree, they could tell the rest of the world, look, there's no way he can be blessed of God. He's cursed. He's hanging on a tree. There's no way he can be your Messiah. So they want to see Jesus crucified. So they bring Jesus before Pilate. But don't miss verse 32 says this, this was to fulfill the words that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die over and over and over again. Jesus said, I will go to the cross. I will go to the cross. I will go to the cross. No wonder that, that Jesus stood before Pilate, not shaking like a leaf. Jesus wasn't here like the cowardly lion was before the Wizard of Oz. That was not, that's not the picture of Jesus that we have. Jesus is in complete control. He has confidence and assurance. He was absolutely in control of this moment. And think about this. Follow with me here. If they would have taken Jesus and stoned him, then Jesus would have been wrong. And if Jesus would have been wrong, then Jesus isn't the truth. And if Jesus isn't the truth, then he's not God. And if he's not God, then 
Christianity collapses. Jesus is a fraud, and we are all still in our sins. None of this. None of this is happening haphazardly. Jesus is in control of it all. While Pilate and the Jews are responsible for their own evil, God is orchestrating the entire drama in order to send his son to die for the sins of the world. So in going all in to have Jesus crucified, the religious leaders and then Pilate are basically rejecting the king, and they are rejecting the kingdom. They want nothing to do with the kingdom. This leads us to number two, the ruler of the kingdom. The ruler of the kingdom. So beginning in verse 33, we have one of the most provocative encounters of two people in all of history. The Roman governor who represents the king over the world at that time, Caesar, and Jesus who is the king of all kings. And Jesus answers him in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Just consider the scene here. On one side, you have Pontius Pilate, the emissary of Rome. On the other side, you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You've got two people here facing off. What a contrast between both of them. One an earthly ruler, one a heavenly ruler. One would do anything for power, honor, and glory. The other gave up his power, honor, and glory and became a servant. One lived for the material what could be seen, felt, touched, and owned. The other says, my kingdom is not of this world. One is wearing the robes of Rome. The other has wrapped himself in our flesh and is wearing the peasant clothing of a Galilean. But who's in control of this scene? What we see again, Jesus is in control. In fact, he's managing his own death. Yet when you think about the kingdom here, think about what Jesus is saying. My kingdom is not of this world. The question becomes, what kind of kingdom is Jesus talking about? What does he mean that his kingdom is not of this world? Now, Jesus doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't for this world. It absolutely is for this world. In fact, it is the only hope for this world. Neither does Jesus mean that his kingdom isn't meant to exist on this earth or that his kingdom is only to be found in heaven. That's not what he's saying. His point isn't geographical. He's not talking about where it is. He's saying that the power of his kingdom and the principles of the kingdom do not come from earth, meaning that there's nothing that we as humans can do to create the kingdom or do to make the kingdom even greater than it is. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. One of the greatest definitions I've ever heard of the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is the divine rule of God in the lives of man. God's divine rule in our lives. Which begs the question, are we currently living as though Jesus was our king? Are we currently living as though Jesus was our king? Brothers and sisters, you can see a king from another kingdom and you can tip your hat to them. And they can still have no rule over your life. Is that how we're treating Jesus? Just tipping our cap? Or are we bending the knee to him? Are we living as though Jesus were our king? When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, are we doing that? Or are we going, huh, yeah, right. Who's the king? And then look at verse 37. Verse 37 contains... The only explicit reference to the birth of Christ in all the Gospel of John. 
It says this in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am king for this purpose. Get this. I was born. That's his humanity. And for this purpose, I have come. That's his divinity. Meaning I've always been and I entered into this world. So he is the king and we are to live for his kingdom. Live for his kingdom. So the ruler of the kingdom. He is king. Which leads us, number three, the rule of the kingdom. The rule of the kingdom. And here's, here's the kingdom. The rule of the kingdom is this. Truth. It's all about truth. It's all about the picture of what is truth. That question. Who is truth? So notice how Jesus assumes control of this interrogation. Jesus says, in verse 37, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate answers the, or asks the question of all questions. What is truth? Here's the point. Jesus is truth. He is the full and final revelation of God to us. Listen, you can have a belief about truth, but you don't get to decide what truth is. You don't get to decide what truth is. We hear all the time, I'm speaking my truth. No, you're speaking your opinion. Your opinion isn't truth. Your opinion is only your opinion. I won't tell you what opinions are and what they smell like. But anyway, you, you know what it is. But the point is, your opinion is only your opinion. Truth matters. You don't decide what truth is. And here is the, here's what's ironic. This cynic, Pilate, says, what is truth while standing in the presence of truth incarnate? Meaning truth wrapped in flesh. The one who John wrote in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only father, or only from, from the father, the son, full of grace and truth. In John 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. In John 8, Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way, I am the what? Truth. Truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now Jesus says, he leaves the door open for Herod and says, whoever is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate asked the ultimate question, and then Pilate walked away from Jesus and closed the door on truth. He walked away from Jesus. He shut the door on truth. And let me say this this morning, brothers and sisters, don't follow Pilate out out that door. Don't follow him out that door. There is only one way that you and I will ever be able to stand before God, and that is by standing in the truth. Standing in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the king of the kingdom. And only those who enter in by truth will enter into his kingdom. Again, Pilate walked away from Jesus and shut the door on truth. Now, would you like to know how Pilate died? So would I. Just kidding. The, the, the truth is we can't exactly know. We don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. We know what became of him. Because he walks off the pages of scripture, but history tells us that, secular history tells us that Pilate was eventually recalled, deposed back to Rome. Basically, he committed one too many infractions. 
He was arrogant and prideful and did stupid things, and eventually he was recalled. And what we are told in the midst of being recalled that he was facing punishment. And though we're not exactly sure how he died, one 4th century historian by the name of Eusebius said this, finally he fell into such calamity that he was forced to become his own murderer. Many scholars believe that Pilate took his own life. What a tragic waste. A man so hopeless staring in the face of hope. Looking at incarnate truth. Things could have been different. The great irony of this passage is the final analysis. You can't put truth on trial. Truth will put you on trial. Meaning, you cannot judge the truth. Truth will judge us. Let me say it again. We don't judge the truth. The truth judges us. Like Pilate, every single person must make a choice. There is no third way. There is no fourth way. There is only two ways. There's no middle ground here. Either Jesus Christ alone, the only Savior of sinners in the world, and you have bowed your knee to him, or you are in the group of those who mistreated him, mocked him, spit on him, plucked out his beard, and eventually crucified him. Sooner or later, you will find yourself in Pilate's position, and you will have to make a decision concerning Jesus. Think about that question. What is truth? What is truth? Have you found the answer to that question? Is your life a picture of the answer to that question? What is truth? If not, let me end this way. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And he can be known, he can be experienced, and he can be exalted. Therefore, may we join together today, may we join together, especially in light of this week, in lifting high the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The one who says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But I want to end by asking this question of each one of us this morning, whether you're here or watching online. And this is between you and the Lord, and here's the deal you know. Right now, there is a throne in your heart. Who's on it? Who's on it? Is Jesus on it? Is he, is, is he directing you as king over your life? Or are you on it? Are you ruling? Are you reigning? Are you making the decisions and trying to give him secondhand glory? Who's on the throne of your heart? Let me just say this this morning. We know very clearly who is. And if you look at the throne of your heart and Jesus isn't on it, push down anything that's not him. Push off of the throne anything that's not him. If it's you on the throne of your own heart, rip yourself off right now. You are not worthy of that throne. I am not worthy of that throne. He is worthy of that throne. May he rule, may he reign as king over all of our lives today, for he will reign forever. So let us stand. We're going to call praise team forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration, and let us pray. Oh, Father, we come before you, and Jesus, you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it's being done right now in heaven. Give us today, Lord, what we are in need of. 
Give us today the bread that we need, all that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and from the evil one because yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever and ever. Father, rule today. Father, we pray today in this moment, who's on the throne of our hearts? Some of us look and ourselves are on the throne. Some of us, Lord, worry, fear. It's on the throne of our hearts, dictating everything that we do. Others, it's guilt and shame that rules over us. Past mistakes, past sins, past things. Others, it's the opinions of other people. What other people think, trying to get the approval of everyone else. So many things can rule and sit on our hearts and dictate everything we do. But there is only one worthy king who has died for us. And Jesus, that's you. And we pray, God, in this moment that you will, that you will fill, that you will reign in every heart and life in this room and those watching online. I pray that if anyone who's listening has never trusted you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would not today walk away from truth as Pilate did. But today they would walk to the truth. Would walk to you, Jesus. Turning from sin, turning from self, and turning to you. Trusting you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen. To save your alone.